Welcome to Pod 256, a weekly Bitcoin show focused on mining, energy, and proof of work. I'm your host, Rod, and I go by the handle BitKite on Twitter. Joining me for the second time is Colin Harper, writer and researcher at Luxor Technologies. Here's what we plan to cover. Public miners up against the ropes, so we're going to talk about Core, Argo, and Compute North. Miners continue to be poor segment, uh, myself included. Uh, Stop laughing, Colin. Positive news, though, uh, on a couple fronts, and then some more positive fun stuff uh, from what Bitcoin mining is actually doing in the world. So welcome back, Colin. Thank you, Rod. Happy to be here. And hey, you know, we can just all commiserate because everyone's poor right now. So everyone, it's not just the miners. We did have a nice little uptick in terms of uh, hash price for a fleeting second there. Yeah, it was a it was nice. We had a hash rate taper off. I think it was like 30 exahashes or something. It dropped from like 274 <laughs> to like 250 or something. Yep. Then we had like a good seven, uh, 7.32% difficulty adjustment downward. And also Bitcoin's price ripped back up to like 18K. Um, and, and But it's back down to I think like 17 now. So yeah, that was nice. But um, I mean, it's kind of like cold comfort because mining margins are still down by like 70% this year. Tom, for the next show and for our other shows, I need a soundboard of like, you know, like that. Um, just I need a soundboard. I'm going to figure out some sounds because I want to be celebrating when we're ripping up in the in the, in the the goody quadrant, by the way. You know, those four quadrants I explained, like where ha- total access hash is going down and the Bitcoin price is going right, up. Right, We were for like maybe a couple of yeah. days in that really goody yeah, con- yeah, quadrant. Sweet spot. A sweet spot. Yeah. yeah. I just don't want to mislead listeners because, you know, like we're going to get like basically that hash rate that came offline is has now been either like replaced by other machines or come back online. And like we're due for like probably a five to six percent difficulty adjustment in like four days. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so man. it's tough. So- it's, it's yin and yang, man. It's like, you know, difficulty drops profitability uh, goes up and miners plug back in that are higher up the cost ladder. Difficulty goes up, miners higher up the cost ladder get get knocked off. They yep. come off the network and, you know, constant equilibrium. It's a tug of war, man. And, yeah. and, and the difficulty adjustment is the referee. Well said. So let's just jump right into it. So public miners being up against the ropes. We just had some kind of breaking-ish news around core. Uh, everyone's been thinking that they were going to go uh, under, but it seems like their creditor came in at the last minute to uh, give them a, a little line of relief. Yeah, so um, I, I don't know if it's their primary lender. To me, it seems to be since they're taking such a. Um, I mean, I'm not like a finance guy by background, but I saw a lot of guys on Twitter saying that this is like a pretty interesting thing to happen for like a lender to send a, a note like this to the investors of a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so like B. Riley basically came in and said that they're going to do all they can to make sure that core avoids a bankruptcy and they're going to try to just restructure its debt. I think they said that they're willing to provide up to like $40 million worth of, uh, um, worth of liquidity, uh, you know, to, to help, uh, get the ducks in a row here. Uh, and just like some context for people like core scientific was, uh, is like the largest Bitcoin miner, public Bitcoin miner in North America. Um, last I checked, they had something like almost eight exahashes of hosted mm-hmm. hash rate from clients. And they had another like eight exahashes, maybe even more of their own hash rate. Um, 
And the way that they scaled so quickly, though, is they just took on a shit ton of debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and their stock is down, like, or was down, like, 97, 98% over the year. Um, after this news, the stock rebounded, like, basically doubled. It went from, like, 15 cents to now it's at, what is it, 34 cents a share. Oh, wow. Which that's the other thing too. Like if you're if you're trading below a dollar on the Nasdaq, you're you're at risk of getting delisted. Like you basically have like you know um, a certain grace period, and if you can't recover above that point, the Nasdaq just kicks you off. So that's a good segue. What's happening with Arco blockchain? Then? Yeah. So another miner that people uh, have been uh, kind of speculating they'll go under soon. That do you know do a bankruptcy or some sort of debt restructuring. Um, my boy Will Foxley at Compass uh, had a tweet last week where it seemed as though that Argo accidentally leaked the fact that they were, you know, looking at Chapter Eleven, mm-hmm. and some it was some communication sent to shareholders, and he got his hands on it. Um, but it looks like they're trying to avoid that because they actually just sent out a press release this week saying they're going to try to restructure the company. Um, no one knows what that will look like, but last week. In light of uh, you know potential bankruptcy or the rumor that they were going to file for chap file for Chapter Eleven, and the fact that their stock is trading you know well under a dollar right now, I think it's forty eight cents on um, on Nasdaq. Um, they were delisted from or the trading was suspended, I should say, from the London Stock Exchange and Nasdaq. So, yeah. and then we have some new news or not or some updated news around uh, the Compute North assets from our previous conversation. Yeah, um, so I did some research for Hashrate Index last week on this, sent out a newsletter. Um, and so for just a little bit of background for those who don't know, Compute North fired, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in September. They had an asset sale, 363 asset sale in November that basically allows for outside companies or creditors, anyone who has a stake or wants to have a stake to come in and bid on the assets that are uh, listed in the bankruptcy sale. Um, and so we have the results from that asset sale and basically all of the secured debt that Compute North had has been wiped out. Um, it's largest chunk of secured debt, which came from its primary lender generate capital. There's like $101 million was secured by two facilities, one in, uh, Kearney, Nebraska, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the other in, uh, Granbury, Texas, known as the Wolf Hollow facility. So, uh, Generate Capital took control of those facilities. Um, another company called U.S. Data Group, which has ties to U.S. Bitcoin Group, which is a Bitcoin mining firm in the U.S., uh, bid on a uh, $99 million uh, promissory note that Compute North owes to one of its JV partners, NextEra Energy. Um, they built a uh, Bitcoin mining facility with NextEra as a wind-powered facility in Texas. And U.S. Bitcoin Group uh, bid on that note and also the JV itself. So now U.S. Bitcoin Group owns the other half of that JV. Do you have a question? No, I was going to say, do we have, like what's your source on all this stuff? Uh, the um, the bankruptcy filings. Okay. Cool. So if you if you go to you can look them up on Epic um, E P I Q. Okay. Um, and all of this is publicly available information. Um, but yeah, so U.S. Data Group bought out that JV, and they assume that $99 million uh, debt. Um, so that was more secure debt that's been wiped out. And then there are a few other kind of um, pieces to pick up that were – those were the two big ones. Um, and then Foundry came in and bid on three facilities. They're definitely taking control of two, one in Big Spring, Texas, one in North Sioux City, 
uh, South Dakota, and they have the rights to buy one in yep. Minden, Nebraska, if they decide to go through with it. And then Crusoe came in and bought like eleven containers for like a million dollars, um, or maybe it was like a million five, um, something like that. Yeah, it was a million five, mm-hmm. and so. Um, that leaves uh, Compute North raised a total of fourteen point seven million dollars in cash from this sale. At the time of the bankruptcy, who knows how much of this has gone to legal fees and to paying salaries? But they also had like eight million in unencumbered cash when they filed for bankruptcy. So, assuming some of that's still intact, probably not all of it. They've got somewhere just north of like twenty two million dollars, but they still have thirty nine point three million in unsecured debt outstanding. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a big mess. Marathon yeah. has been kind of, uh, they've been filing complaints or, um, I don't know what the actual legal term is, but they've basically been filing like certain like stays with the court to try to claw back like their security deposits, mm-hmm. um, with, uh, compute North and some of the, um, power, uh, some of the, um, money that they put forward for their hosting agreements with compute North. I believe that Marathon was hosted in. I want to say they were in, hosted in the Wolf Hollow facility um, and maybe even in Nebraska, um, Marathon was. And so they have a big stake here, but um, you know, it's looking like if they want to continue to mine there, they're just going to have to make new contracts with yep. the new owners. So, And this is not digs on any of these folks. It's just like— It's just the way it is. It's the way it is, and which is another segment, which is you know right in the square of my, uh, square of my chest, which is miners continue to be poor segment, Colin. Yeah, we uh, are poor. We are poor, yeah. Um, and one of your, uh, I, I saw this tweet thread from. I'm going to butcher Yaron Melarud. Yaron Melarud. Um, around many believe, uh, believe miners are enormous Bitcoin holders uh, that can move markets on a whim. But in reality, right now, uh, us miners we're <laughs> we're not holding that much Bitcoin. So I don't know if you want to um, shed some light on this. Uh, yeah, so uh, Yaron was basically tackling the idea that miners are behind, you know, uh, bear markets. Like I think, like uh, not to not to pick on him because people pick on him a lot, but you know, John Carvalho of Synonym was saying like Bitcoin bear markets are caused by miners, and that's just maybe maybe during the first cycle. Why does he think that? I don't know because of selling pressure, but I just think that that's like insane considering what the spot volume is nowadays and like what percentage of that volume could come from miners which you know Yaron in this article I'm going to pull it up so I don't like uh totally uh butcher his estimation but like you know this sh- their share of like daily volume on exchanges is anywhere from like 0.2 to 0.6%. Mm-hmm. So and that's just for Binance. So and 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 I wouldn't caveat like I don't really trust Binance's uh, daily trading volume for Bitcoin, but let's just go ahead and say like um, it, it's probably more or less close to the daily volume of all Bitcoin changing hands on a given day across mm-hmm. all the different OTC desks and all the different exchanges. I mean, Bitcoin miners don't even make up one percent of the daily trading volume. So f- for me, and that's like all of their holdings, and not all miners are selling at the same time, right? So f- for me, the idea that like Bitcoin miners lead to bear markets is just absurd and, and kind of a detached from reality. Um, do they fuel the selling that goes on? Of course. Like if they're selling, then they're going to add to that. But the, the the market sells off because people panic and because multiple segments of the market are selling off at the same time. It's not like miners are just like, okay, now we're all going to dump, yeah. right? You know, and 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 you can you can also just another point on that. This is evidenced by the fact that like most public miners, and they only make up a you know, 
depending on your estimate, like 10% of the market, maybe 25 on the high end. That, that'd be really high though. You know, public miners uh, held all of their Bitcoin at the top and they didn't start selling until yeah. Bitcoin was already cratered. So, you know, um, would have been better for them to have better treasury management for sure. But um, anyway, Yaren's article, um, recommend people go check it out because it really kind of puts this to, to rest looking at the data. They don't ho- they don't command enough of the actual circulating supply to have a meaningful impact day to day. Totally. And that's one, one, one of my big takeaways is like having a disciplined approach and like kind of writing that out and saying, hey, here's our treasury management uh, strategy and we need to execute it in a super bear and a super bull and stay the course. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the marathon team did some, which is ironic because a marathon was like <laughs> super bull mode. Like they had 10K Bitcoin at the peak. They still hold most of that Bitcoin, but like a lot of it is locked away in a Bitcoin backed loan. So if Bitcoin goes to like 14K, they'll basically be margin called for the majority of their, for like the rest of the Bitcoin that they don't have encumbered by that loan. But I think um, one of Marathon's uh, biz dev or strategy leads or something like that went on the Compass pod a while ago. And he said they ran some numbers. And the best strategy is like a 50-50 approach. Like sell 50% of what you mine, hold the rest. Mm. Um, And, you know. A lot of Bitcoiners, you know, or maxis might be like, don't sell any of your Bitcoins. Like, but for miners, you have to pay for operating costs. And for these big public companies, if they weren't selling their Bitcoin, then they were either selling equity and diluting current shareholders to to cover their cost, or they were taking on more debt, which is part of the reason why so many of these miners are at risk of going bankrupt right now, because their balance sheets are just shit. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have very much liquid cash or liquid Bitcoin, and they have mountains of debt to pay off. That's a good uh one of the uh, panels at the mining summit that we're hosting, the Nashville Energy and Mining Summit in January, is going to be around uh, capitalization or treasury management. So I'm really uh, interested to hear different perspectives there because uh, I want to learn quite a bit. Which also, uh, Daniel Frumkin actually just tweeted out a, a really awesome thread that we we had the chance to kind of review a bit uh, right before we jumped on. Which is, you know, a lot of people pontificate and say, hey, time in the market beats timing the market. But in comparison, Bitcoin mining is all about, not all about, I should say, but it has a strong uh, lean towards timing the market. And, and most importantly, the capital expenditure that you make buying your machines at the fixed, you know, uh, energy price that you may uh, get into. So I don't know if you wanted to to shed some light on. Yeah, I wish um, I should have thought of this one before we got on. But I was <clears throat> running some analysis for interview report on like ROIs mm-hmm. for uh, buying ASICs at different times in the market cycle, and like to, to Daniel's point in this thread, timing your ASIC buy is everything. Like if you had bought an ASIC in like June or July of last year, yeah. after they came down because they they went from like all time high territory for new gen ASICs down to like. I think like $60 a terahash in June or July. If you had bought them then and got it plugged in a month later, you ROI'd basically by the end of the year or shortly after the turn of 2022. I did not do that. Yeah, I didn't do it either. Um, I did buy an ASIC in November, which was when ASIC prices were at an all-time high. And that thing's not going to ROI on a US dollar basis for like another two years, if not longer. Yeah. Um, But I also bought it with Bitcoin which is something else that you have to factor in, right? Like, given that I bought it in Bitcoin, I'm actually closer to ROIing on a Bitcoin-denominated basis than on a USD-denominated yep. basis. Um, 
And, you know, that's something to consider too, right? Like when Bitcoin's riding high, um, if miners are trying to expand, if the market's hot, obviously ASICs are going to be, are going to have a premium, are going to be more expensive. But if you use Bitcoin to purchase those, uh, you know, then you're kind of, you're not hedging against a drawdown, obviously, but if the drawdown does happen, then, you know, that Bitcoin's worth less anyway. So you just like redeployed that capital into something that can produce you more Bitcoin over a longer time frame. Now, of course, obviously all of this assumes that you actually have a place to plug them in with cheap energy. And I think a place where a lot of guys got screwed um, last cycle um, without pointing any names uh, or pointing to any, any names, you know, you don't have to go far to find these companies, but like mm-hmm. they were taking on hosting deals that were like seven or eight cents. And I think we talked about this last time, but if you had one of those and you bought an ASIC at the top, like at a certain point, you either have to find cheaper power or just like cut your losses because, you know, I don't know. Like you said, Broad, everyone, we're all poor. We're poor we're now. We're all poor. Well, let's switch gears now to some positive news. Um, I'm liking the more proof of work um, case studies and examples being showcased uh, from all around the world, really, uh, in combating the uh, the ESG narrative or the anti-ESG narrative around uh, Bitcoin mining and how it harms the planet. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to to see what the folks at Gridless Compute. Um, uh, launched in terms of their rays and then also showing, I think it was in Kenya mm-hmm. in that remote yeah. village leveraging hydro. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know how many rigs they have. Uh, I'm looking at this photo right now and it looks like they're running like M twenties or maybe like M thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it seems like, uh, you know, Jack was tweeting about this, uh, gridless compute is able to make use of this hydro dam in Kenya and because of that, they're actually able to soak up excess energy that's produced that can then pay for the operations of the hydro dam. And that lowers costs for everyone that draws from that dam. Um, and, and this isn't related to Kenya, but to kind of give an example of how this works in our backyard, I was listening to Tom M on, uh, I believe you had him on last week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tom, yeah, yeah. Standard Bitcoin. He was on Max uh, Gagliardi's. Gagli- yeah, I was about to butcher his last name. I can't, I'm a Southern boy. I can't Tom do Italian Max names, legends. Um, But he was on uh, Max's Talk Energy pod, and he was talking about how the TVA will actually, and that's Tennessee Valley Authority, yep. uh, for those who don't know, uh, it's Tennessee's um, electricity uh, operator or, you know, power uh, grid operator. The TVA will actually go to miners and other high uh, energy intensity, uh, you know, consumers and industries. And they will ask them if they will set up in like rural areas in Tennessee because they have certain mandates for how much power they have to sell to the grid. If they don't sell all of that power, then they have to raise prices for everyone who's drawing that power um, for reasons that I'm not totally clear on, but I guess it's because either A, Obviously, like those like hydro and nuclear and that gas facilities are not cheap. Coal facilities are not cheap to operate. If you don't have enough people actually consuming that energy, then you either have to raise the price of the energy um, to make up that cost for producing it, or you have to wind down some of those energy producing assets, which creates variability in in uh, supply. And then the demand from your actual consumers ends up raising that uh, the cost per kilowatt, right? Um, so it's interesting. It It kind of like... It seems unintuitive if you don't know anything about Bitcoin mining and energy systems, but you know yep. people often point to Bitcoin and say, "Well, it's consuming more energy. That means less energy to go elsewhere, right?" And that means energy will cost more for everyone. 
And no doubt in some places where there are already enough consumers of that energy, that could be true. But in some of these rural areas with energy producing assets that do not have nearly enough consumers to meet the supply that those energy producing assets uh, create, um, then Bitcoin mining can actually stabilize uh, prices for these regions. And, and, and you know, Tom said it, it, it's uh, particular in these rural uh, edge cases because, you know, he went to some TVA um, exec and was asking about like setting up a station and somewhere in a town outside of Knoxville. And she was like, well, they're growing pretty fast. Yeah, so it's you, in the North City, but yeah. Yeah, so like you don't want to do that because then you might actually run into a problem with competing with actual, you know, like consumers, consumers. and residential uh, residential consumers with uh, industrial or commercial consumers that need that energy. Um, so anyway, all of that said, with the TVA example and this gridless example, um, when you start to actually think about it and see it work in practice – like Bitcoin is kind of an economic battery for some of these energy companies. And and stabilizing and, and creating or stabilizing energy in these rural source uh, uh, communities and then helping them maintain and build their communities is it could be just phenomenal. Um, so I'm, I'm eager to see and follow along gridless compute. Um, and then we had our friends over at ARK Invest uh, come out with a, a report, even though and we both agree that this is not new news uh, for those that have been in Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin for for some time. Um, but I thought it was uh, useful and helpful that they're um, creating this report and then publishing it um, and sending it to their uh, investors and their consumer base. Yeah, I think just like the off-grid and like um, nat gas uh, Bitcoin mining thesis, just again, like you said, it's like, People have been talking. I mean, Steve Barber has been talking about this since 2017, right? Uh, and, and others besides Steve Barber too. Um, there are a lot of pioneers in this space, um, but it, it just makes sense for uh, these uh, nat gas producers uh, to mine Bitcoin in places where they can't dispatch of it, or in where they're overproducing. Um, and kind of something to just tack on here to like, not necessarily add novel analysis, but like. People always talk about Bitcoins. This is kind of this isn't a tangent, but it's kind of like extending this to another another kind of game theoretical area. People always talk about like Bitcoin security budget and mm-hmm. like what's going to happen in the future when it's just fees. Um, the reason why I'm not worried about that is because if Bitcoin is successful enough and the price grows enough, um, the fees are going to be enough for energy companies to justify mining on assets that overproduce. Um, or places like off-grid, like nat gas sites, things like that. Um, any in, any um, company or firm that is producing energy will just have a Bitcoin miner or multiple Bitcoin miners on site because they can soak up that excess energy and they make profit. And they're not going to profit otherwise because that energy does not have a actual endpoint where it's going to be used. So, you know, I, I think that 50 years down the road, it, it will probably be very unlikely 50, 100 years down the road, it'll, if Bitcoin's still around and, you know, this look. thing, uh, yeah, right? And this thing doesn't crash and burn. Um, assuming the price is high enough, energy producers are going to be the primary people mining Bitcoin because they're going to be the only ones who can actually effectively eke out enough margin from it for it to make sense. And like on that point, you're just going to have thousands of energy companies around the world mining Bitcoin. I don't really, I'm not worried about, you know, someone trying to attack the chain or there not being enough uh, economic activity uh, with mining to actually protect it. So, yeah. 
it, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because you have all these, uh, the closest folks to these energy sources have a strong incentive to mine Bitcoin, especially when the price is ripping. I will say the um, the innovation that we're seeing um, in these new startups, um, ranging from really cool home mining setups where uh, you can just in the near future, you're gonna there're gonna be some announcements where you can buy a home miner with ten terahash uh, miners, really sleek design, not these cloud computing uh, setups to be a heater. Or a Are home. you talking about the one that Dennis Porter tweeted about recently? I don't know, not that one. Okay, um, but uh, but there's gonna be. I'm, I'm I guess I'm tr- speaking more generally uh, right. that I think there is a strong incentive to create uh, different types of uh, retail and small business mining operations from existing energy sources from like, you know, you need to heat your home. Well, we can mine Bitcoin and heat your home. You need to heat your pool. Well, you could mine Bitcoin and heat your pool. I think a Bitcoin-powered like uh, boiler would be really interesting, right? Like... You totally. just like slap like an S19 on like your water tank at home and that's what uh, that's what heats your water for your your uh, sink for your dishes or your like uh, shower or something like that. Um, I've seen a lot of these like there have been a few companies and maybe it's the same one but like the one that I was talking about that Dennis just tweeted about. It's like this heater for your home. Um, I like that concept. I just don't like the price point because that heater oh, is yeah, yeah, basically yeah. like an S9 and it like costs $1,200. Like you can get one of those for like $30 right now. Yeah, yeah. That that one was not that cool. Um, <laughs> but there's other ones uh, just to go into the, the the positive fun stuff segment, which is like uh, I think I saw in documenting BTC uh, one that was uh, distilling water with Bitcoin mining. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, what about rece- like – you know, like a greenhouse where you're, um, it was like, I think another video was showing the recycling the warmth of Bitcoin mining to grow tulips, which is pretty. Uh, yeah, greenhouse miners are cool, man. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, especially in colder places during the winter, just like plug in that ASIC, make some money and also use it to heat your greenhouse to keep your farm afloat. Um, I also think it's hilarious. Like, I almost wonder, it's like, was this like, is this like performance art? Because it's like a bunch of Dutch dudes like farming tulips. Yeah. And, you know, like with the whole like uh, Bitcoin is tulip mania 2.0 meme. Um, but that that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think for in the future going forward, two things are going to distinguish, let's say like not amateur or hot, well, amateur and hobbyist miners and also smaller scale professional miners. Mm-hmm. It's like, can you recapture the heat? in a way that produces some sort of economic value elsewhere and kind of an extension of that. Can you just have another revenue stream that somehow is related to your mining, but not tied to Bitcoin? So for like a big energy consuming public miner like Riot, that might be like curtailing, right? And selling power back to the grid or some of these other miners who actually own energy producing assets like Stronghold it's like they're right now they're pivoting to just like selling power to yeah. the grid because they can make more money than mining doing that. Um, now that's a little tougher because Stronghold is like highly uh, debt strapped. So like you know you can't just go and buy a um, a, a uh, power station or you know like a coal plant or a nat gas plant and expect to just like be rolling in the dough. But all that being said, um, any way that you can extract extra value 
from either the waste heat from your miners or from some sort of alternative business line. It's going to be crucial going forward. I will say I, I like the strategy of going full stack uh, and owning your own energy source mm-hmm. rather than relying on somebody else. Um, now, how you capitalize and acquire that asset, you know, is a whole nother conversation. Right. Um, did you see the the U.S. Department of Energy? I just uh, uh, signaled it to you. Uh, announcement around fusion, um, by chance? I saw the news articles saying that they had like finally like broke positive, like the broke even, or like produced more energy than they consumed while doing fusion energy. There are a lot of caveats there, though. Like, I think the biggest one that I saw was, yeah, during the testing, they produced more energy than they actually consumed, but that doesn't actually account for, like, how much energy went into charging the laser Mm -hmm. that they used for the fusion energy. So, Yeah, I guess my point here is, like, every single day, you know, knock on wood, (laughs) and class is half full or class is half empty. Are we making progress or we don't, we think we're not making progress? And this is just one of those steps, I hope, that is forward. Uh, because Yeah, it definitely seems like it. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, we could go on the nuclear uh, uh, tangent. I, In a crazy world, if I had to close my eyes, you know, and just think, each household should be their own energy producer or provider where they can have battery technology that allows them to pull in, let's say renewables and store that over time. Uh, like, you know, let's say a solar battery and so on. And then if you're, you're holding all of this excess energy and you want to quote unquote monetize it, it'd be pretty cool and innovative to just plug in a, another Bitcoin miner. And by the way, right now we have two manufacturers, uh, Bitmain and MicroBT big micro BT fan. But I do think over time, we're going to see more competition in that whole world as well. And we're going to continue to see innovation there. Yeah, I agree. I would hope to, um, I hope that Intel continues to R&D here. Um, from what I've heard that, uh, you know, their block scale ASIC chips that they're producing um, are going to be like somewhat competitive, but they're not going to be able to be totally competitive with Bitmain and MicroBT. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this is their first crack at it. And the fact that they're even getting something that's in the ballpark is, uh, you know, we don't actually know what the full specs are. I've only heard rumors. But, you know, I think if we get, or when we get foundries here in the U.S., you'll see more chips uh, for ASIC manufacturing produced here eventually. And, uh, you know, to your point about like microgrids and houses, I think that as long as you're in a place that has like solar viability, um, when the costs of solar panels hopefully inevitably come down, um, that makes sense to me. There's a lot of stuff that we have to work out with, with, uh, how do you say energy density, uh, with, with solar panels and all these other things. And like, also like got to figure out the problem with like storing it in batteries. Um, but I think that these are all problems that are so big that need to be solved. And I'm pretty sure that eventually, hopefully in my lifetime will be solved. I mean, this is like maybe a simplistic way of looking at it, but like people never thought that like flying was a possibility. Exactly. If People you went never, to Kitty Hawk yeah. and saw those two crazy motherfuckers, you yeah. know. And if you explained like, you know, nuclear energy a hundred years ago, you know, th- that was also probably considered to be like a total uh, fantasy, right? Yep. So, you know, I see a lot of like, there's a lot of infighting uh, with Bitcoin, with some certain Bitcoin mining advocates about like renewables versus fossils and all this stuff. See a lot of fossil bros just like totally discounting um, renewable energy. And like, I understand that there are definitely shortcomings. Um, It's overhyped in certain areas and we need to be cognizant of these things. 
Um, but did you just totally discount something like that? You know, like if you like live in like Arizona, New Mexico, stuff like yeah. that, um, if you can find a way to uh, get some solar panels uh, with, you know, renewable energy credits from the government that make help pay them off a little bit quicker, um, like why wouldn't you want to do that? If, yeah. if you if you have the economic position, you to do it. Like you get sunlight 350 days out of the year. It just makes sense to me. Removing any like third-party subsidies or like any like government subsidies from the equation. I, what I love is on the competition side, right? So you have, okay, you know, fossil fuel plants, whatever. But if renewables do work, which I do believe in the longer term, they should work because they have an economic incentive to work by taking in um, <laughs> energy that is quote unquote free. We just need to figure out better technology yeah, to make that work. Sip. Now, you know, we make the joke that Bitcoin is good. Energy is also good. We need more energy in all facets, uh, uh, to enhance, uh, civilization and continue civilization in my humble opinion. So right now, if we're looking at it myopically and saying, okay, you know, let's cut these energy sources off and, you know, without any uh, replacement, that's just a full stop no. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Now, if we have a free market and more competition for these energy sources, such that there's more investment in renewable sources, which makes, is a good product and uh, a good investment, we're gonna, it's gonna lead to insane prosperity if it actually works. Yeah, I think that the, I think people just need to rethink how they're approaching. I mean, this is just my opinion, but like people just need to rethink how they're approaching it. So going back to like you're saying like cutting out subsidies, um, the unfortunate truth is like a lot of solar economics don't really make sense unless you have those subsidies right now. Like if you're going to buy solar panels outright without the tax breaks, like it's going to take you like 10 years or 15 years to recoup that investment, if not longer. Um, but that being said, on the flip side of that, I, I think that solar for microgrids in places that have a lot of solar abundance make a lot of sense. Um, you don't want to use solar as your like primary source of energy for the grid for a big city because that's just inviting disaster, right? Yeah. Like that's why you have like reliable base loads like nat gas or nuclear or God forbid for some people coal, right? Um, but I, I think that that kind of nuance is missing from the conversation. It's like these 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 technologies are complementary rather than adversarially placed, right? Like they're not diametrically opposed to each other. Um, in, in an energy abundant future, we would have as many energy producing sources for uh, for myriad different uh, applications, right? Um, just to go back to the example, if I live in the Southwest um, and it makes economic sense, like I want solar panels yep. on my roof. Totally. So this is a great, I mean, we ripped through a bunch of stuff, Colin. Um, you mentioned, I think on the last time uh, uh, you were on uh, your end of year report, how's that coming along? Um, it is coming along. A lot of distractions this week, just like various things. Elizabeth Warren distracting you? No. Um, yeah. We could talk about that. I just think that's ridiculous. It, no, it's I disappointing. Um, it's extremely disappointing coming from someone who came out of the financial crisis in 2008 arguing to like, you know, like break up the big banks. And now she's like seemingly an advocate for them. It, it It's just sad. Um, but no, just distractions in terms of um, distractions in terms of just a lot of like stuff to wrap up at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, end of the year reports coming along pretty well. Um, I mean, basically we talked about it a lot on this podcast, but the theme this year has just been boom and bust, man. I mean, yep. um, every conceivable metric that you could look at just looks awful. Um, <laughs> like, 
like every single thing, like ASIC prices are down tremendously, like like eighty percent over the year. Um, hash rate is up like fifty percent, and difficulty with it in step. Um, you know, hash price is down like seventy percent. Bitcoin's price is down sixty four percent. Um, and you know, there there are some like there's some interesting analysis to pluck from this. Um, and maybe we can cover that more in detail when I have like more data. Um, yeah, for sure. At, uh, on hand for that, but um, I think one of the things that to me is really telling about miners who are trying to position themselves, like the S nineteen XP. We were talking about this before I got on. Um, that's the newest miner from Bitmain. It's commanding like a 50 percent premium uh, for spot orders compared to S nineteen J Pro, which was the previously most efficient and powerful uh, Bitcoin miner that Bitmain released. Um, so. You know, you're you're really starting to see miners uh, really try to position for uh, you know this bear market and also the next halving because that's the that's the other thing that like some people, especially newcomers, don't really factor into their ROI. Um, and by newcomers, I, I usually mean like people who are totally um, uh, you know new to Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining and have kind of like invested in this as kind of like a you know they're almost like tourist investors. Like Bitcoin mining was super profitable last year. They got in, saw that hash price was at like thirty cents, yep. um, or th- sorry, three hundred dollars per pet of hash, and they're like, "Yeah, like let's send it." Um, but you know, the having is coming in about a year and a half, year and five months, really. Um, yeah, and slow down, please. <laughs> it's only going to speed up. Oh, damn. It, it, it keeps coming. Uh, well, well, the first, uh, I think, actually, the first uh, having epoch was like like three and a half years because of how much hash rate was added during the GPU era of mining. But um, yeah, it's probably going to come late April, early May. Um, but, you know, miners of are really- 2024. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And miners are really, <laughs> not next year. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awful. Um, but miners are really starting to think like, what can I do to ride this out? Right. And if we saw like last, uh, last having um, in 2020, in May of 2020, directly after that hash price hit, it's all time low, which was at the time like sixty dollars per peta hash, which is like six cents per tera hash. It was like between six and seven, and um, you know then the bull market came and it and it and it resurrected, right? Um, but you know we just recently hit an all time low for hash price, so you know conceivably after the halving, unless Bitcoin's price is just absolutely juicing, you know maybe we're looking at like two three cents per per tera hash, which is really really brutal when you think about it. I don't want to don't want to bum you out rod but yeah let's let's talk about it. let's end on something positive but <laughs> but by the way uh love for you whether it's next week or the the week after that uh and come and uh highlight the end of year report that would be a fun uh pod 256 episode yeah That's maybe sure. uh, maybe we can do it when i actually like have the report out so i can like have all of the or maybe we'll do a teaser we'll figure it out after the show for we'll sure about it um, and you're going to join us uh, at the beginning of the uh, year for the uh, uh, mining-focused meetup here at uh, Bitcoin Park. Uh, I think that's January 11th, which will be pretty badass as well. We'll put that in the show notes for anyone who wants to come visit us in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, come check us out. And we are also recording audio only, um, just the panels, not the Q&A. The Q&A is always the spicy, good, fun stuff. Um but uh, we'll be recording. Colin will be participating um, and a number of other folks. So uh, check out those links in the show notes. Colin, you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, man. Just um, it's cockroach mode in 2023. Yeah. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. Stay humble. 
Stack hash. Stack hash. Well done. Way, way to, way to uh, play on our boy Odell. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Seriously, Colin, thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Rod. Always a pleasure.